Father, be gracious with us this day, we ask. And pour out your Spirit upon us that our ears may be unstopped and our hearts may be opened to hear and to respond to your call on our lives in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 51 verse 7 says this. It says, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. It's part of the servant songs in Isaiah 49, 50, 51, 52, and 53. Prophetic glimpse forwards several hundred years to the coming of God in the person of Jesus. And I think that the Gospel writer Luke has this verse in mind when he describes how Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The expression, setting your face like flint, implies a dogged, steely, determined resolve to accomplish what you set out for. Flint is a hard rock, and it's used in the Bible to describe things that are fixed, resolved, tough, immovable. And Jesus, knowing that the time was approaching for his ascension, that is when he was going to be taken up into heaven, sets his face like flint, as Isaiah had prophesied hundreds of years earlier, and sets out for Jerusalem to fulfill the calling that God had assigned him, to suffer, to die for our sins, to be buried, to rise again, and to ascend into heaven, like the Son of Man in Daniel 7, to whom was given all authority, all dominion, all power over all creation. And so when the disciples are distracted by an unwelcoming village, Jesus is not tempted by them to turn from his course because he has set his face like flint. No fire from heaven, just a simple rebuke whose words we do not know yet. Curiously, the text says that the people of the village did not welcome him precisely because he was set on a course for Jerusalem. He knew his purpose, to be animated by our sense of purpose and by our steely resolve to act in accordance with that purpose can be perplexing for those around us. Jesus knew his purpose, but do you know yours? God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for my life, for our collective identity as members of this church family. But do you know it? Do we know it? Do you remember it? Are you steadfastly resolved to act in accordance with the purpose that God has for your life? It's a question that troubles me from time to time. Have I become blind to my purpose? Do I see clearly what God is doing in my life? And do I see clearly the plans he has for my life? When it comes to understanding my purpose and defining my identity, which voice is louder in my ear? Is it the voice of the world around me or is it the living God in heaven? And I want to be honest with you up front, just because I'm a vicar, it doesn't mean that I get a free pass from all the usual worries of doubt and disappointment that so often define us. I'm not immune to the same anxieties that all of us experience. And recently, I've been feeling something of a failure professionally. And I say this not 
for pity or seeking encouragement. I'm fully aware of all kinds of wonderful blessings in my life and indeed uh, many things that rightly contribute to a sense of gratitude and satisfaction uh, that I've been a tool in God's hand. But I have felt disappointed sometimes. I've worked hard and sometimes not seen the fruit of my labours. I've been steadfast in endeavour and still hit a brick wall. Perhaps I've seen a period of growth and fruitfulness only to have some kind of disaster sweep away what has been built. I've experienced loss, friends who belonged in our church family for a season but have left. It's as though that wonderful promise of spring and the warmth and the joy of summer have given way to an autumn and a winter which have stripped the leaves from the tree. That's how it can feel and perhaps your life can feel the same in ways. And the point of me telling you this is that I suspect each of us has our own version of that story to tell. Each of us seeks to make sense of our lives, to find meaning and value through some set of measures or expectations we or the world around us has for ourselves. We measure ourselves against the stories of our society, the expectations of our families, and our own comparisons of ourselves with our peers. But I want to suggest to you today, and as it were to preach to myself today, a reminder that God has a purpose for your life and for mine. And the only measure that really counts is whether we are setting our face like flint to walk in step with his purposes for our life. And I want to explore this with myself and with you by thinking about spiritual sight, by thinking about the points, the purpose, the cost of following Jesus, and finally to say a few words about how we respond collectively as a church family. Now, the paradox of physical blindness and spiritual sight permeates life and literature. At the end of his life, the former slave trader, uh, John Newton, author of the hymn Amazing Grace, who actually lived in Hoxton for a period in the 1790s, uh, he's reported to have said, I'm an old man and my eyes are failing me, but one thing I see very clearly, I am a great sinner and I have a great saviour. Gloucester in Shakespeare's play King Lear only sees clearly what is going on with his sons Edmund and Edgar when his eyes are put out and he is blinded. And this story from the Bible has been on my mind this week. It's a story of Elisha and his servant reported in 2 Kings 6. It says this, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In this passage, Elisha's servant is fixated and overwhelmed by the physical reality he perceives with his physical sight. But he's unaware of the spiritual reality until God opens his eyes to see another layer of reality at work around him. I had a conversation with a member of our church earlier this week. And the person I was with said something striking. He said, be deaf, dumb and blind to what's immediately around you so that you develop spiritual senses. And I think this is one of the great challenges to us in this season. How to have our spiritual eyes open and attentive to what's going on in the world. As well as to perceive what God is doing and how we should respond. It's sometimes said that one of the 
jobs of a leader is to describe reality for those around them, and in so doing to help people see and perceive more clearly what's going on. And that's a challenging task at the moment because there's lots going on in the world. In our post-COVID, post-Brexit environment, the ramifications of both of those things, Brexit and the pandemic, which is still very much living with us and uh, affecting our lives. The beginning of a new era. It's being noted that the Elizabethan age has passed to the Carolinian age. And indeed, the Chancellor mentioned a new era in his fiscal event on Friday and extraordinarily was the site of a new government attacking its own record in office and hell-bent on bringing us into a path of greater instability and uh, poverty and inequality. I won't divert to politics. The Labour Party conference is on at the moment, if anybody wants to go. We're experiencing international instability. If you've been reading the news this week, you've been reading about uprisings in Iran, about injustice there, about uh, intolerance, about violence and brutality, and about those who are protesting. We know that many people have fled Iran and other countries like it due to persecution, seeking a better life, seeking a place where they can be free to believe uh, what they will. And this week you might also be perplexed to find that the next refugee crisis will be Russians fleeing the draft. Peace-loving Russian men leaving their homes because they do not want to be conscripted into a war that is not of their choosing or making. And we experience this international instability close at hand in Europe. The theologian Ed Stetzer uh, has talked about six pandemics beyond the coronavirus pandemic that we need to be alert to that are part of the reality of the world in which we live at the moment. He talks about a pandemic of mental health. We know that to be true. More and more people are reporting depression, anxiety. Uh, More and more people are um, having diagnosed conditions of mental health disorders. More and more people are reaching out and waiting for support, be that cognitive behavioral therapy through the NHS or talking therapies or uh, pharmaceutical therapies. There is a pandemic of uh, mental health problems. There is a pandemic of distrust at work in the world. And of course, COVID has played into this because absence and distance from one another fuels this. What many people who study this and reflect on this are realizing is that the, 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 the drive to work from our homes, the drive to distance from one another actually fuels distrust in one another because so much of our human relationships uh, and trust is fed by those face-to-face conversations, body language, little smiles and signs of our closeness. So there's a pandemic of mental health disorders, there's a pandemic of distrust, there's a pandemic of division or polarization, package politics, identity politics. If you're not with us, you're against us. You know, and people polarizing across uh, political divides, across social divides. This added to by a pandemic of defamation. So easy on social media now to slander your opponents or your enemies. 
and feeding back into that pandemic of mental health erosion. A pandemic of disorientation, people being overwhelmed by the rate of change. What tier are we in today? What regulations or provisions are there this week? You know this as we lived through COVID, but it continues to carry on as people are adjusting to new company policies and new ways of working and learning and relating. And finally, a pandemic of disruption to our social patterns. These are Ed Stetzer's six pandemics. Mental health, distrust, division, defamation, disorientation, disruption. With our physical eyes, we see an overwhelming level of threat. Like Elisha's servant, we feel surrounded and vulnerable, overwhelmed by the challenges of our day. We need God to open our eyes to the spiritual reality that God is with us, that Jesus is still on the throne, that the Spirit of God supplies us with comfort and strength, that those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. In the context of our spiritual reality, we might remember what our purpose is. So that's uh, something about our spiritual sight, and I want to encourage you to be reflecting on the, the, the sort of physical reality that's around you and how it makes you feel overwhelmed and threatened and and can lead us into a paralyzed state of um, not knowing how to respond. But to, to seek and make that your prayer, Lord, open my eyes to the spiritual reality of who you are and what you are doing in the world so we might remember that God has not abandoned nor forsaken us. But I want then to talk briefly about our purpose, the purpose that God has for you and for me. Now, the reason that the second commandment given to Moses prohibits the creation and the worship of idols is that God has already provided for us an image of himself. And it's humankind, one another. You see, idols try to represent the gods towards which they point. And yet the one true God, maker of heaven and earth, has given the earth representation of himself in his human creation. Let us make mankind in our image, Genesis 1. So God made them, male and female, he created them. He has given the earth a representation of himself in his human creation, women and men who are made in his image. Now his image is fractured and marred in us by our sin. But of course the perfect representation of God's nature is given us in Jesus. We explored that a few weeks ago at our all-age worship. What is God like? God is like Jesus. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact nature of God, as Hebrews 1 puts it. So what is your purpose? What is my purpose? It's to be restored in our status as divine image bearers so that we can represent God in creation, so that we can be under stewards of God in creation. How does this happen? Well, it happens by being conformed to the pattern of Jesus, the perfect representation of the divine nature. We become true image bearers of God when we become more like Jesus. The principal underlying purpose of your life and mine is to become like Jesus, and in doing so, to restore peace and justice, beauty and harmony to creation. But because we're broken by our sin, because we're anxious and afraid, proud and self-pitying, this purpose does not get fulfilled easily. To be conformed to Christ, we have to be transformed from what we are. And you'll have heard me speak about this before, but transformation is at the heart of the gospel. God's transformation of us from lost sheep to adopted children, from rebellious sinners to precious heirs. 
Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Transformation. Behold, I make all things new, says Jesus in Revelation. And this transformation is both objective and subjective. It's a change in our status before God, but it's also a change in our experience of our lives. Transformation is both inward and outward. Our attitudes change as we become more like Christ, but so do our behaviours towards others. So do our relationships and our activities and our priorities. They all change. And so this work of grace is made visible. Forgive me for boring you by repeating again the collect for the second Sunday of Epiphany, which is my favourite Anglican collect, but it expresses for me what I think is at the very heart of God's purpose for us and for his local and for, and for his church. And the prayer goes like this. It says, Almighty God, in Christ you make all things new. Transform the poverty of our nature by the riches of your grace. And in the renewal of our lives, make known your heavenly glory. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's, it's that renewal of our lives that makes known his heavenly glory. And so we bear witness to God's nature. It's the renewal of our lives that reveals the glory of God. And the church is supposed to be a foretaste of that transformed society. It's us as a community of, a, of saved sinners, of the healed, the forgiven, the hopeful, and the helpful. That's what we're here for. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for my life. But as the pastor and the author, Rick Warren, puts it, it's not about you. The world around us wants you to focus on yourself. Self-help, self-care, self-actualization, career progression, personal development, me time, self-expression. Choose your identity, change your identity. It can be overwhelming, exhausting, and it can leave us with fragmented lives torn apart by the different choices we make and the different groups to which we belong. But God's purpose for your life is that you should have your eyes fixed and focused on Christ, not yourself. And that when you do, you discover that yourself is formed and healed by proximity to Jesus. Jesus himself puts it this way. He says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But anyone who's willing to lose their life for the sake of me and my gospel will find it. It's that great paradox. You, you gain a sense of self and a, and a secure sense of identity by letting it go and allowing Jesus to give it to you, not by clutching we find our purpose and fulfillment in life when we get a little less fixated on ourselves and a little more fixated on God. I read a book this summer called The Road to Character by the New York Times writer David Brooks. And in this book, he makes a contrast between what he calls resume virtues, he's American uh, on the one hand, and eulogy virtues. Uh, and resume, resume virtues are the accomplishments and the achievements that you put on your CV or a job application. Resume virtues are about how you're getting on in life, what you've accomplished, what you've achieved. It's about your career, it's about your education, your, your qualifications, money in the bank, house, mortgage, spouse, kids, bucket list, ticked off, great Instagram stories, popularity, work-life balance, good mental health, all these things. And of course, there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. But resume virtues are slippery and insecure. They always leave you wanting more. There's a competitive aspect to resume virtues because you measure yourself against your peers and your role models. How am I getting on? How am I doing? But eulogy virtues, on the other hand, are about what people say about you at your funeral. 
and you won't be there to hear. But eulogy virtues are about the kind of person you are, your character. Were you kind, faithful, generous? Did you encourage and support others around you? Were you a good friend? As my friend said earlier this week, be deaf, dumb, and blind to what's immediately around you. That is the focus on resume virtues and the competition to succeed in life. So that instead you can develop spiritual sense and strive instead towards eulogy virtues, character, the fruit of the Spirit manifest in your life. The purpose of your life is to become more like Jesus so that you can bear the divine image and be the manifestation of God to others in the world in the renewal of your life. Make known his heavenly glory. Now, this is not going to happen automatically, and this is why I need to say a little bit about our collective purpose, because this only happens within a community of fellow pilgrims who are seeking to be conformed to Christ. 1 John 2 verse 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So we need to learn how to walk together as Jesus did. Learning to walk as Jesus did means belonging to a counterculture, dwelling with those whose spiritual eyes are being opened to see God at work all around us. And that's why we also have a collective purpose here at St. John's, to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. And the Bible verse that expresses this purpose is in 2 Corinthians 5.19, which says that God was reconciling the world to himself, to himself, not counting human sins against them. And he's entrusted this ministry of reconciliation to us. To us. The us in that sentence is the local church. We are the society, the community, the family, the people through which God wants Hoxton to know his reconciling work in Christ. We are here, God's purpose for our church is that we would collectively bear witness to the reality of sin and human fallenness and also the depth of God's grace and mercy available to us through Christ's atoning death on the cross. It's one of the reasons why we begin every worship service with a time of confession and repentance. The local church, sorry, we are collectively to bear witness to the resurrection and the possibility of life that overcomes the power of death, the possibility of uh, hope that overcomes the power of despair, the possibility of love that overcomes the power of hate, and the possibility of joy that overcomes the power of sorrow. That's what the resurrection is about. It's a signpost to those new ways. And this local church matters in God's plans and purposes because in this earthen vessel, this jar of clay that we are, is the most extraordinary treasure of grace so needed by the world. And that's why it matters that we collectively build our capacity to bear faithful witness to God's reconciling love. Jesus set his face resolutely on his destination to fulfill the purpose God appointed for him. And he called others to follow him. Some were distracted by their everyday affairs. First, I need to go and bury my father. Let me go and say goodbye to my family. They were conformed to the social expectations of their day. Where am I going to sleep? They were prioritizing personal comfort and social obligations above the call of Jesus. And the call of Jesus is costly. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ bids a man come and follow him, he bids him come and die. Jesus says in our reading today that if we put our hand to the plow but we then look back, we're not fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. That is a hard teaching. But of course, the cost of not responding to the call of Jesus is far greater. 
Because if we don't respond to the call, we consign ourselves to the never-ending stress and anxiety, craving and competition, insecurity and vulnerability. We were made to reflect God's image. And if we turn away, we become fragmented and ultimately dehumanized. Walking away from Christ will rob us of the divine image. So we have work to do as a church, to encourage one another to heed the call of Jesus, to walk as Jesus did, and to be conformed to Christ. And that's why our mission action plan that we've put out again has these familiar headings and objectives, that we would worship God, make disciples, share Jesus, transform Hoxton. And you can read a whole load of objectives uh, that we are seeking to work towards over the next few years. And in this five-year mission action plan that we published last year in this period, we're putting a particular focus on four areas. Renewing our Sunday worship services, refocusing on kids and youth, tackling our crumbling building to make it fit for purpose, and resourcing our efforts in social transformation to respond to local need. I'm not going to say anything about these now but, uh, in particular, but please talk to me or the staff or members of the PCC if you want to know more or get involved. But I do want to just say this. Responding to the call of Jesus to follow him is much more than just coming to church on Sunday. But it's not less. Responding to the call of Jesus means 24-7 whole life discipleship in your work, in your home, with your friends, with your family, with your enemies, with your neighbours. It's a totalising call that leaves no part of your life private and hidden. Many of us will testify that this is a joyful and hopeful reality when we find that the call of Christ reaches into every part of our life. There's nowhere we can go and hide from him. It's actually liberating because it means his grace and his love comes and reaches us in every part of our lives. Gathering to worship with your church family on Sunday is an essential part of the life of a Christian because you cannot do Christian life alone, because that would be to fracture yourself from the body of Christ, from the brothers and sisters that God has appointed, from your fellow pilgrims pursuing God's purpose. So with that in mind, I want to be clear that we're going to continue to experiment with the forms of our services to make spaces for everyone and to build our capacity to welcome more people in this neighbourhood to worship God here on a Sunday. And over the coming weeks, you'll see a few shifts to the pattern of celebrating Holy Communion and how we do all-age worship and how we seek to put more energy and effort into building our four o'clock congregation. And I want to encourage you to be praying for that and experiment, experimenting as well. Come to the four o'clock service one Sunday afternoon for worship and prayer. Uh, come for Holy Communion. Experience a slightly different atmosphere and environment with the chairs arranged more in the round. Come and see. We want to build our capacity to welcome more people in this neighbourhood to worship God here on a Sunday. We're not the only church in Hoxton. There are other fantastic churches in this neighbourhood, but there are 25,000 people living in Hoxton and we are 40 or 50 there's a lot more work to be done. And you know this. You, you know that people are struggling with isolation and loneliness, mental health, fear, insecurity. And we know that actually this 90 minutes on a Sunday morning is good. It builds us up again. It reassures us. If not the sermon, at least the tea and coffee. 
So we have a duty to our friends and our neighbours to invite them to come to encounter Christ here on a Sunday. We're about to launch um, a new Alpha course, which is a brilliant opportunity to invite people to come and hear more about Jesus and find out more about God's purpose for their lives. Uh, we've got these cards at the back. I'd love you to pick one up, take it away. Uh, it's got a QR code, so you can give it to a friend. They can just go to our website, the Alpha page, and find out more. Uh, what I particularly love about these is we've, we've had these printed uh, in Farsi and in English with these little slogans. Escape the, the echo chamber. Try Alpha. What do you think? Try Alpha. And uh, the same slogans, messages in uh, Farsi, and we'll soon have them in Spanish as well, so that we can invite people to come and find out more. So each of us needs to find a way that we can contribute, whether that's serving on a team, contributing to the kids and youth work, welcoming those who come, inviting our friends and our neighbours, and bringing ourselves weekly into the presence of God. Self-leadership, a duty to ourselves. Because it's sometimes said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Yeah? If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. London faces an epidemic of busyness. People are always overcommitted. I speak to people week in, week out, and they're like, why are you doing that? Why did you take on a, why are you doing a master's as well as three jobs, raising young children, and trying to find somewhere new to live? What are you doing? People overcommit and overstretch themselves all the time. Family obligations, professional obligations, trying to build my career. But it's all that seeking and striving in response to the vulnerability and the insecurity we feel because of the physical reality around us. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If we will be like Jesus, those who set our faces like flint to pursue God's purposes for our lives and for the common life of our church, then we must not let the devil overcome us with busyness or distraction. This is a spiritual battle. And like Elisha's servant, we need the Lord to open our eyes to see that those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. So I want to invite you today to rededicate yourself to this vision, to assent to God's purpose for your life, to say yes to becoming a divine image bearer by being conformed to Christ, to play your part in this ministry of reconciliation that is entrusted to the local church. There have been setbacks, there have been disappointments. By goodness, I know them the last few years. The world is in chaos and turmoil and it feels as if we're surrounded by enemy armies. But open your spiritual eyes and see that God has not abandoned or forsaken you. Those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. So set your face like flint on God's purposes and go again. Would you like to stand with me as we pray? And in a moment we're going to use uh, the words of the Methodist Covenant Prayer as our response but first just take a moment perhaps Jesus is calling you today afresh to renew your commitment to follow him to respond again What that looks like for each of you may be different, whether it's about your witness in your workplace, your prayer life, your devotional life, your prayer triplet, your participation in a connect group or a ministry team or involvement on a Sunday. Whatever it is, that's for you to work out. 
But I want to encourage you, if you feel the Spirit of God um, knocking at the door of your heart again, calling you, the voice of Jesus calling you, then we'll respond with these words, but I encourage you as well during communion to go and have somebody pray with you as a sign and a symbol that you want to put your hand to the plough and not look back, that you want to set your face like flint and pursue God's purposes for your life, to be a divine image bearer, to become more like Jesus. But those of us in this room, and collectively on behalf of all those who belong in our church family, let's offer ourselves, one another, this local church, into God's hands as we pray together the words of the Methodist Covenant Prayer. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven.